Welcome to the Gospel Saves Podcast, a program that discusses all matters related to the Christian faith. Please visit thegospelsaves.me. A few years ago, I studied with a young man who was struggling with his faith in God. During our six-month study, I read several works from Christian apologists on topics ranging from canonization to the historicity of the New Testament. One book I found particularly helpful was The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus by Gary Habermas and Michael Lacona. In it, they laid out a five-part case for the resurrection of Jesus as an historical event. A few months later, I shared what I learned from their book on my weekly radio broadcast. I share that series with you in the hopes you will find it as useful and convicting as I did. On our program, we've been talking for the past few weeks about the the end of time. As we reach the end of that study, it becomes increasingly clear that at the heart of that study lies the anticipated resurrection of the body. Before we get into the resurrection that all Christians anticipate, I think it might be good for us to spend some of our time talking about the resurrection of Jesus. You see, the expectation of a future resurrection rests upon whether or not Jesus actually rose from the dead. And believe it or not, there are some people, and you may be listening to this program today, who do not believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. I believe that the case made by the New Testament authors is quite persuasive, and I'd like to share that case with you this morning. In Romans the 8th chapter, verse number 11, Paul says this, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. As a Christian, we have all received the gift of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. That spirit is a guarantee of the resurrection that is to come. Paul says so over in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14. We know that there is a future resurrection because of the Spirit who dwells in us. We also notice here in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, that this resurrection we anticipate is made possible by the resurrection of Jesus. Notice how Paul says this once again. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So not only can we anticipate the future resurrection because of the Spirit who dwells in us, who one day will give life to our mortal bodies, but we also can trust that the resurrection is a true event, an event that will take place, because Jesus himself was raised from the dead by that same Spirit. So do you see that whatever anticipation the Christian may have of a resurrection That anticipation rests on whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. Now, in the 15th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul records for us one of the most important aspects to the gospel. In verse number 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you by the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, and in which you stand 
by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So Paul preached this gospel. The Corinthians received this gospel. They stand if they hold true to the gospel that Paul preached to them. Unless, Paul says, they believed in vain, or unless they really didn't believe at all. So what is that gospel which saves them? Well, he begins to describe the the central tenet of that good news. He says in verse 3, For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Did you notice in that stretch of verses that the resurrection of Jesus lies at the heart of the gospel that saves us? Paul acknowledges that Jesus died, he was buried, and that he rose. And we know that he rose based upon the eyewitness accounts that Paul lists. He was seen by Cephas. He was seen by the twelve apostles. He was seen by five hundred brethren. He was seen by James. He was seen again by the apostles. And then finally, he was seen by Paul. Now this is the principal evidence that we have for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can be confident that the tomb of Jesus is now empty based upon the testimony of these men. So I'd like to take a, a few weeks to, to pick this apart, to take the pieces of evidence listed here and to examine the case that Paul makes for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I think from this passage, we can extract five major facts. Number one, I believe we can ascertain from this passage that Jesus was crucified. Paul says he died for our sins, and we have a number of other passages in the New Testament that attest to the fact that Jesus was in fact crucified, and that crucifixion represented the carrying of our sins. The second fact we can take from this stretch of verses is that the disciples were fully persuaded that Jesus rose from the dead. Notice the people that Paul lists. He lists Cephas, he lists the apostles, he lists 500 brethren, he lists the apostles again. Those people were fully persuaded that they had witnessed a resurrected Jesus. The third fact we can take from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8, is that James was converted as a consequence of him witnessing the risen Christ. The fourth fact we can take away is that Paul was converted as a consequence of him witnessing the resurrected Christ. And finally, although it is implied in this passage, we can see that the tomb of Jesus must be empty. Why else would all these appearances have been reported by more than 500 brethren, by James, and by Paul? By implication, we must conclude that the tomb of Jesus is empty. 
So we're going to use 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 8 as, as sort of the outline for the next few weeks. And we're going to examine the evidence a little bit more closely that Paul presents and weigh each of these facts against the, the testimony of the New Testament. So turning back to our list, we know that Christ died for our sins, and we know that that death was by crucifixion. We have many eyewitness accounts of Jesus' crucifixion. It is almost universally attested that Matthew was the author of the gospel account that bears his name. As far as I know, no one, no scholarly person questions whether or not Matthew authored that gospel account. The gospel account, according to Mark, was heavily influenced by Peter. We can look at some of the internal evidence from the gospel of Mark and see that Peter must have had some hand in helping Mark understand these things, giving Mark some insights that he would not otherwise have had. We know that Luke based his gospel account upon his own investigation of these matters. In fact, he says so in Luke chapter 1, verse number 1. Luke starts out this book with a, a classic introduction to history. This is something that we often see in the ancient world, particularly among Greek and Roman historians. They would often begin with this, this preface that, that introduced their book, and Luke falls right in line with that. He says, "...inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us." Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of these things in which you were instructed. The key verse in this passage is the second verse, where Luke talks about the eyewitness accounts that he and other believers had received. He then goes on to talk about how he had had perfect understanding of these things. And as you read the gospel account according to Luke, you can tell that Luke had spent some time investigating this. For instance, it does seem that Luke interviewed Mary, because we're given some insights into what Mary was thinking and feeling at, at certain moments during Jesus' life and ministry. How else would Luke have known this except that he had talked to Mary? And we know that Luke had spent time in Jerusalem. He did so in Acts chapter 20 and 21 for sure when he returned with Paul on that final journey back to Jerusalem before his uh, imprisonment by the Roman authorities. We know that Luke spent some time in Jerusalem and would have had access to these early disciples. So Matthew's account is based upon eyewitness testimony. He was there. We know Mark's account was partially based on eyewitness testimony, given the fact that Peter had such a heavy influence on Mark's account. We also know that Luke interviewed people who were there, talked to them, and, and included their insights in his gospel account. And finally, we know that the Apostle John wrote the gospel account that bears his name. There is a great deal of internal evidence that points to John being the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, we don't have the time on this particular radio program to go through all that evidence, so I'm, I'm asking you to take my word for it. 
But I also would encourage you to look into these matters for yourself. There is information out there, literature that's available that can, can help you confirm these things for yourself. So as we, as we look at the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, here we have books that claim to be eyewitness testimonies of the ministry of John the Baptizer and later Jesus. These were things that either the men who wrote these books witnessed or they were based upon accounts of the people who witnessed these things firsthand. Now to me that is an incredibly important fact, particularly in light of the fact that all four gospel accounts record the crucifixion of Jesus. Now John was the only disciple, the only male disciple, who went all the way to the cross with Jesus. He was there through his trial, and he was there as Jesus hung on the cross. But all four gospel accounts attest to the fact that Jesus was nailed to a cross and that he died at the hands of the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities as well. Thanks for listening to The Gospel Saves. If you found this program useful, please visit thegospelsaves.me to find blogs, videos, and Bible studies. If you enjoyed the music on this podcast, please visit acapeldridge.com. You can also find him on Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. May God bless you as you seek to know and do his perfect will. Yeah. Mm-hmm.